Hello to all my little old ladies with smelly couches. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, no phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous couple things to talk about before we get to the show today. One, uh, every episode, all four episodes of the Beautiful Anonymous TV version are up at Topic.com. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting it. And if you want to check it out, Topic is actually offering 30-day free trials. So you can go on and watch all of them. It's pretty cool if you go to Topic.com, use the code BEAUTIFULANON. That's really nice of them. And I imagine the more people that watch it, the higher a chance we get to do more. And I get to pay my mortgage. So thank you in advance for checking it out. Uh, what else? Hey, now that the good vaccine news is coming, we're gonna. my agents, they're starting to schedule some shows for later in the year. So we're going to be doing a lot of live Beautiful Anonymous. I want to get out there, bring it to the people, see you guys feel that energy again. Can't wait. So news on that will be coming up in the coming weeks and months. Last week's call, such a tough one. I saw such an outpouring of thoughtful reactions empathetic reactions to that caller. And it made me feel very good to see the community discuss that in such a thoughtful way. And I'm sure the caller had the same experience, I hope. Yeah, thank you for that. Thanks for being such a good, positive, thoughtful community to our listeners. Now, speaking of that, this call, I think it's really interesting in a lot of ways. The caller you're about to hear is someone who has a past in the military, and calls up and talks about a lot of the misconceptions that maybe we have about the military and veterans, and also gets into discussion of sort of like the the political nature of the military, political views within it. And we specifically talk about militias and how that's bubbling up in the military. But here's a really interesting thing. It was taped months ago. It was taped before the new president came in. It was taped before January 6th. So it was all recorded in the past in a way that I think is really fascinating because you could tell that a lot of the insight this caller had was was really applicable to the the way that the tides were shifting in this country and, and the way things were bubbling up. So I think it's a really good call in its own right. And it's a really good, I would say, sort of artifact of where we were at last year and how the storm clouds were on the horizon for what's happening exactly right now. It's one of the cool things about getting to do this show sometimes. So I really hope you are uh, as fascinated by this call as I am. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Hey, is this Chris Gethard? Yeah, it's Chris Gethard. How are you? That's awesome. That's nice. That makes me. Am I coming through okay? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you great. Awesome. Hey, sorry if I uh, sound a little. Um, I got like a wicked head cold going on. So. Oh boy, did you get tested? I'm I'm gonna let it pass uh, for the next like day or two, and then go get you know another yeah. test. Just to, it's it's a, it's a head cold. It's nothing but yeah. It's it's this this year's nuts, right? You get you get a sniffle, and you're like, well, I guess I got to go get a nine inch Q tip jammed into my brain now. It's tough. It's oh scary. man, I was 
selling furniture right when like the start of the the COVID thing started going around. And I just, I, a lot of people have, have had this like similar experience, just the nastiest cold like that I've ever had, like fluid leaking out of my face for like four days. And it was all jokes. <laughs> it was, oh, better not get close to me. Better not. Yeah. And then months later, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I hear Sorry, you. Bummer. How are you? No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, you know, all things considered, I'm good. My kid, uh, he started saying words. This kid says pumpkin. No way. He says pumpkin, but he doesn't say dad. I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm like, you can get pumpkin. You're just holding back on dad. You you might have to like try to reverse engineer what is like baby brain is doing. Maybe pumpkin means dad. Maybe. Like you see the pumpkin. He's like, that looks like daddy's face. Pumpkin. Yeah, I could see that, right? Paint maybe get some face paint like like a pumpkin. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Hey, can I just say before we get going, uh I know it's been it was it came out a couple months ago. Space Force, dude. Oh my uh, god, so you're so good. Thanks, man. I had fun with that one. The reviews were rough and I didn't want to watch it. And then Howie was like, We gotta watch it. And then I watched it. I was like, I think this show's pretty funny, man. Reviews are for the birds. The reviews were like ridiculous. I thought the same thing. And like, this isn't the first time you've seen a show take like one or two episodes to get going. But it's so interesting. You guys are like playing in a space and that like nobody else can do. You created this like whole weird ass world. Well, that means a lot. You got, if if you started Space Force and gave up on it, like go back and get to the part where Chris Gethard is on a, like a moon rover. Yeah. And he has to tuck a wrench under his seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's in a bad neighborhood in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was uh, not so much of a reach for me, baby, to be hiding, a, hiding a piece of hardware. <laughs> no, of course. What's your of course. Moment? <laughs> I know uh, you're like a self-deprecating dude and you're like, I'm not really an actor, but man, you got to do a scene with John Malkovich. And uh, that's like the dream. Me. It was awesome. It was really, uh, it was really just a joy. And I got that job literally on a few hours notice. I got a call in New York saying, can you get to JFK by 10? I was like, it's like eight. So I ran out and did it. It flew me out, slept a tiny bit on the plane, slept in a hotel for about two and a half hours. And then they drove me into a canyon. And then uh, John Malkovich is sitting in the canyon. I didn't even know he was involved. I was yeah. like, what is this? What is this? Oh, that is a trip. Yeah, it's wild. So, listen, we could talk about me all day and my small-time character acting roles. What's up with you? How you doing? I'm doing, um, I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, just to kind of like sum up the basics of where I'm at, uh, I worked at this like really great nonprofit uh, for a couple of years. And, but I've also been doing some like theater and improv stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, kind of just to the starting levels. And I was looking to make a career jump uh, to get more involved in like either nonprofits in the city uh, or 
you know, uh, theater, uh, improv stuff work-wise in the city. And, uh, yeah, I tried to do that at basically the worst time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. I had, uh, the coolest interview and who knows if I would have, uh, got it. Like it was maybe even a bit of a reach for me, but like, I at least got in the door for the interview for like a really cool position at like one of the, the, the big three uh, improv theaters in Chicago. And uh, boy, it was about like a week before that theater closed for <laughs> who knows, man. Yeah. I mean, one of the big ones shut permanently and then my old home base in New York shut permanently. This whole bubbles bursting, man. That- that's got to suck so hard. I, what you guys have been doing to kind of like keep that like community and keep a, keep the, the comedians circle, you know, going and engaged and funded when you can has been really cool. I do my best. I do my best. You know, when I try to shine spotlight on people who I think are funny and, and kind people. So Yeah. Well, so you working... the, the, the work of Meg Stalter. I'll, oh my God. I'll, she's I'll the treasure forever. funniest person. She's so funny. She's so funny. If you're not watching, there's this, this girl, she came up in Chicago. She's in New York now. Meg Stalter. She put out this thing called the Meg Stalter show on YouTube. It's completely insane. It makes me laugh so hard. What a joy. What a joy she is. And you've introduced me to a couple like comedians like this, but like, yeah, no, she's funny coming from a place of a brain that I can't access. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> there's a, a lobe I'm missing. Yeah. She, same here. I've been in comedy a long time and I'm like, you're, you're on a whole other wavelength. <laughs> she's a kind, she's a kind one too. She's a kind one too. Now, you, so you theater. No, seems like a really sweet person. Who, like just oh, would yeah. not want to be mad at me. Oh yeah. I think she's so sweet. She's the best. Um, so you so involved in theater, comedy and comedy. And then you also said you work at nonprofits. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I, I've, I've had a weird track. I, uh, I went from the military to working in, uh, like the politics and like the small scale, uh, like local races and stuff in, uh, and doing some fundraising that led me to nonprofit work. And what I was trying to do to get closer to that and kind of like level up was to look at jobs in, uh, either nonprofits or like theater stuff. Very cool. What, uh, what branch of the military did you serve in? Uh, army. It was like a long time ago. I got out like seven, eight years ago now. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, just sincerely, thank you for, uh, for doing it. That's whatever. That always <laughs> feels so awkward. Yeah, but it, you know, it is. And then you read all this stuff about the military and it becomes such a political thing, especially in an election year. But then you forget. I, I'll tell you, I, I, when I did my HBO special about suicide, I had a senior chief in the Navy reach out to me on Facebook of all places. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, so your thing on HBO, is there any way you'd come out and perform it? Because you know, one of my jobs is like uh, giving these anonymous interviews and, and I'm getting more reports of people with mental health issues, suicidal thoughts. And I thought maybe your comedy would be a way to like have that conversation in a way that military people could stomach. And 
I was like, well, I don't have it memorized anymore, but I'd be happy to come out and talk to people. And they screened my special. I think it's the only time I've watched it since it came out. And then you're, you're out there and you realize for as politicized as the military gets, for as much as I think, you know, there's certainly people on my end of the spectrum go, well, there's a lot of stuff we can't pay for in this country, but we pay for tons of stuff with the military. Outside of all that, the bulk of the people you meet who are involved are kind of just young kids who want to be of service and want to want to help their country. And can't really argue with that when you meet people eye to eye. Oh my God. Yeah. No, the age thing is, it's, it's kind of whack. (laughs) Most of the people. That's a good point. You had a good point. Like, Oh, sorry. Oh no. I'm happy to hear about my good point. (laughs) No, uh, it was the, the, the Navy guys. Uh, good point. And wow. You found a cool vet on Facebook. Good for you. That's hard to do. Yeah. He was awesome. Uh, He was the best. We still text sometimes. Using a, a comedy special, especially one that's like to talk about suicide is, yeah, no, that's perfect for like that group, you know? Like this is a group that can do dark humor, but like also needs to talk about mental health stuff. Yeah, and they were all coming up and talking to me afterwards. And uh, some of them were like, yeah, I've never talked about it, man, but I think those things too, good job. And it was like pretty macho, but still like vulnerable. And then some of these pilots, I don't know if I should be talking about this, but we, some of these pilots were like, yeah, it can be really tough for us mentally because, you know, we'll fly like a 14 hour solo mission in a jet. Um, and, you know, to fly 14 hours, generally, you know, you'll, there'll be some, uh, you'll be prescribed some uppers. Then you get back and you prescribe some downers and then you're going on these intense missions. So it's kind of like this pendulum swing of, of, uh, of, you know, doctors help giving you different substances to help with the mission. And then you're also doing this like super intense, difficult stuff. And yeah, it can be really hard. I was like, this is a whole other level of what people need to think about this. I was just like, Oh, oh yeah. I've never heard that. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. But the pressure and the intensity of the, being in the military. And again, politics are politics. But when you meet a 19 year old kid who goes, yeah, no, I did this because I want to help. It's, uh, you got to put that aside and think about the people, you know? <laughs> I did, you know, in, in pandemic, I did like one of my like Wikipedia deep dives, uh, and I wound up reading about, um, gremlins. Do you know the, the kind of history behind like the gremlin myth? Wait, like not the movie gremlins, but like you, you're reading up on like, like grem like mythological creature like how like as a phenomenon people started talking about this thing gremlins and it was talk uh, to me about this yeah yeah, yeah i like this guys, talk to me about this guys in like world war one uh would report like they would like hey man i was i was up and we started having engine trouble and i saw they weren't sure if they were like hallucinating or what they were like i saw a little you know gremlin creature like whatever like you know like in the movies uh, and it, it kind of like enough guys did it that, uh, people started popularizing it. It started to get into fiction. They were like gremlins. Gremlins are these little guys that will sneak onto your plane and fuck up your plane. And, and it was because it was like world war one, like the planes they were putting up 
and like the pilots that they were training to put in the air and operate these machines and go do these missions, like, like 50% of them are going to crash. Like we haven't totally figured out this technology yet. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys would kind of, they, you know, that like anxiety kind of led to this mass people created gremlins in their heads to explain, Hey, my engine's probably going to fucking explode. Who knew? Gremlins, mass hallucination caused by the pressure of World War One. I. I, I just, I'm, I might be skipping over some points or like summing it up bad, but I think that was that was my takeaway. I'm going to not research it myself and repeat your story. It's <laughs> my plan. Right on. Can I tell you the inverse of this guy reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, your uh, your special was really good and could help a lot of people." Sure. Uh, there was a dude, uh, we were just about to deploy, uh, and then we were told that we had to go take a a class, uh, and the class was going to be a presentation from like a Hollywood actor. And it was like a, thank you for your service thing. And I kind of recognized the guy. He's a handsome, uh, middle-aged dude. I'm pretty sure he was in a Batman movie somewhere. Uh, and he started to give this talk that didn't really have anything to do about the military. Uh, and it was, uh, he, he, he kind of tried to have like a point about like maybe mental health. It was hard to tell. He would go into these stories about like his being a model and his like cocaine fueled nineties days and like hooking up with other models. And it was very clear that he was being kind of like braggy about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, by the end of that class, like we all were trying to figure out like, what was this? Like, what did we just have to take? I don't understand what my takeaway is supposed to be here. And then we kind of realized like, oh, you got a DUI, man. That's what's happening here. Oh, it's community, like, service. community service. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. 90%. Uh, so he's like, I'm going to go do volunteer, uh, like volunteer work for the military, like uh R and R type stuff, help relax these help relax these guys. And then he's just out, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, not me. I will never forget. <laughs> not good. I know that when my special was being screened for a room full everybody served on the same aircraft carrier. Um I believe it was although is that did the Navy have aircraft carriers? I think it was that. And uh Yes. Yeah, and the biggest laugh I got, everybody was like kind of up and down with the laughs. And then when I talked about how I pooped blood after taking Adderall, people loved it. Loved it. Loved, like flipped out. I don't know if Adderall use is omnipresent in the military, but man, that me talking about the side effects of Adderall, the military was like, this is our shit. <laughs> Excuse me. No, no worries. I feel like... Yeah, I'm not surprised that connected. Cliche of military vets is not that they go into uh, theater and improv comedy. Um, Yeah, no. um, And yeah, I I think more should. Uh, Like, it's incredibly great for... uh, And you know, you don't... You don't want to make it like your whole thing. Yeah. For one thing, like... Uh, I'm I'm very much 
I, I hesitate when to bring up like the, the vet thing. If I'm like in a class, just because I'm like, I don't want you to think that I go into a room and I like me, I got my hat, I got a camo shirt, but like, uh, no, it's awesome. It can be incredibly therapeutic. Like one of the best sketches I wrote, like that I'm really proud of, uh, was about a panic attack that I had, uh, or a near panic attack in an airport. And it was funny. Like it was actually funny. Nice. Nice. I mean, my whole life has been defined by uh, hiding behind comedy as I've sorted out my troubling mental issues. And then I got there eventually. Uh, yeah, no joke. Uh, yeah, yeah I cannot recommend improv enough. You've been just like taking a class if you're looking for something new to do. When it becomes an option again, God damn it. You know, yeah, someday. Just to fucking try to flex some different muscles. And, yeah, take a chance. Take a chance on yourself. See what happens. See what happens. Yeah, it might not even like be for you, but you might surprise yourself by like what comes out when, you know, you kind of, I don't know, put yourself in somebody's hands like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you just hear that sound? What sound? Good. I'm glad. I got, I'm, you know, I'm working from home, so I'm on my laptop doing this. And you know how when your phone rings, it'll route the call through your laptop? I don't know how to turn that off. <laughs> I do. I am the most, there are so many things I don't know how to do on my phone. I'm the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there was bad. a time when I was like selling furniture for the nonprofit while taking uh, classes at night. And like, I had to turn my phone all the way off because I had we would uh, put stuff up on Facebook. Basically the deal was we would try to take furniture from people who were donating it, uh, bring a warehouse it for a little bit and then uh, donate that furniture to someone who was like uh, a vet who's like housing struggling. Uh, you know, so maybe like had been homeless for a while or had been in a program or something and is now getting into their first like new apartment in a while. And we'd try to bring them like uh, the furniture to get, you know, started like tables to heat off of and stuff. But that came with like the downside of it was people messaging you about like a chair at God knows whatever time they want in the middle of the night. <laughs> and my phone just being like, ping. Yeah. You get woken up in the night and somebody's like, hey, I got an ottoman. I got an ottoman. You want it? You're like, yep. Yeah, I want it tomorrow, though. Good night. That was my job for so long, was like <laughs> waking up to a thing at 2 o'clock in the morning and talking to one of the weirdest people in the world on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> Wait, one individual person? Or are you saying across the board, just weird people? Or is there one person you dealt with over and over again? I think <laughs> sometimes it was one person over and over again. I had to block a couple of uh, crazy people. Uh, I know. I think Facebook Marketplace exposes you to uh, <laughs> the weirder side of your neighbors. A truer statement has never been said. I've recently started diving into the world of Facebook Marketplace. Our caller is not wrong. It's a little weird. Talk about that and much more when we get back.
Okay, everybody, focus up. Break's over. Let's get back to the phone call. I No, I think Facebook Marketplace exposes you to uh, <laughs> the weirder side of your neighbors. Yeah, I get what you mean. I moved out to the country, and I was like, I should buy a canoe, man. That would be fun. Uh, sending Facebook marketplaces me- message marketplace messages to people who had canoes for sale, and they'd write back and just be like, "You want it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, this is this. Yeah, this this feels weird." Just having someone on Facebook be like, "You want it?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, no, I think I'll find a. It was it actually proved very hard to find a canoe. I did not succeed in my quest. Anyway, that that's a really that's a really kind gig that you had." supplying furniture to people getting back on their feet. That's really, really kind. It was cool. It was a very cool experience. It was a um, part of a bigger thing that uh, helps guys with, uh, you know, uh, finding work if they needed it, uh, finding housing in the first place, you know, uh, and it was a cool experience. I learned a lot. My big takeaway from it though, is like, like this was a small group in like, across a, a, a network of pretty small towns. Uh, and we could really turn stuff around fast, man. Like we would go get a whole house's worth of furniture from some rich couple that was moving and we could get it to, you know, some dude who had like just come in a week prior and he worked with a specialist and that specialist got him into like help him find an apartment and help negotiate with the landlord for whatever he needed. Uh, and then you know, we could get that furniture, that dude, and we could get him set up in like a day. And like, if we can do that for, for vets and, you know, we can connect them to like angel donors and stuff, we can do it for everybody. Like it's, we can do it for way more people. It's not hard. Yeah. Can I ask you a tough question, but one that I'm sure you've thought about? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, since you worked doing this and since you are a veteran yourself, I'm wondering, you know, I feel like Vietnam, there's certainly been so much focus on the, you know, I think both the reality and what almost became like a trope in entertainment of like the the vet who comes back and winds up homeless, winds up on drugs, winds up with mental illness. And I think it's kind of kept more, kept out of the public eye more these days, but you hear that you know, the the decades of the Middle East that it's happening again, that a lot of veterans, mental health, you hear that suicide rates among veterans are way up. You're talking about homelessness, instability. Why, why do you think it's, why do you think it happens basically? Why is it such a, why is it the thing that happens as often as it does? I don't know. Um, I really don't, man. I think I'm real conflicted with the, uh, uh, with the military. Like there's so much good. There's also a lot of bad, like, uh, I think the army can be great if you're a young guy, uh, who needs some kind of stability, you know, needs someone to pay for like housing and board. And, you know, if you're, 
it can be really great if you take the right lessons from it and you, you can learn a lot about like discipline and what you're capable of. Um, but it's, uh, it's 50, 50 meant like you can also get around some bad leaders or, you know, meet some negative influences, uh, when you're young, you know, you're 18, you're basically a kid. And, uh, yeah, you can take away all of the, all of the wrong stuff from that. And it's, uh, it's difficult. You know, I, I try to stay up with, uh, uh, the dudes that I, I deployed with and uh, a lot of them are doing great. They're like just the smartest guys. One dude's at NASA now. And I just, that pisses me off. Pisses <laughs> you off. Good I think you were going to say it makes me so proud of him. Instead you say it pisses you off. Yeah, no, he's like the best guy in the world, but you know, I fuck him a little. <laughs> Going at Mark and shit. Cool. No, um, but you know, yeah, uh, you also get those notifications like, hey, the, you know, yeah, so and so, so and so's funeral is going to be this weekend. And you're like, what? What a sad Man, thing. I'm generalizing. I'm like, I'm using the broiest terms for it. I'm so sorry. No, no, of course. Of course. I get it. Get it. Sad thing to talk about. Sad thing you have to see more face to face than the rest of us do. I like your, I like your, uh, your, your take on it. You know, I just like comedy. Then you can, you can, you can go that dark. You can talk about dark stuff. You know, but if you, I don't have some kind of sense of positivity that you can bring to it, or you have some, you have the skills to like twist it and try to pull the good lessons out of that or pull the funny part out. I think that's like a really, uh, that's a great process. I'd imagine that the people who have the ability to do that can cope a lot better. Cause I just have to imagine if you, you know, not for everybody, but cause you know, people go all over the world, but if you get sent to a place where there's any element of actual engaging and, and conflict and combat that that does fundamentally change you i would have to imagine on some level and if you can find your ways to cope i bet like you said you might be able to take a lot away from it but if you can't i can't imagine can't imagine some of the stuff that people are seeing and being asked to do and like you said i gotta imagine it especially right especially if you wind up in actual combat with a bad leader I would imagine things could really tumble downhill from there. Must be really hard. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I, I wish, <laughs> yeah, I wish everyone would try to uh, yeah, take an improv class, take a dance class, do some, some hippie thing that has a positive outcome to it. Because the news and all of these, Jagoffs joining like militias and shit. It's, it's so it's so such a bummer. Uh, when you see that, you must, you must. <laughs> I would have to imagine most veterans when they when they see a militia thing and it looks like a, it looks like oh if these guys weren't in this militia they'd all be playing D and D together. You must you there must be a party. I don't care how long you've been out. There must be a party that goes nuts. Like these guys look like they eat hot pockets and drink Mountain Dew in the basement. But instead, they've got AR-15s and like night vision helmets. It must drive you nuts.
I think it's, it's, it's split. There's, there are so many vets who are like too close to that stuff and it really worries me, but like, there are so many other guys who totally get it. Like they were professionals about their job. And when you see some dude in camo, an air 15 at a protest being like, I'm a, a, a Wolverine wank off. I don't know, whatever they're called. Can you imagine spending your weekends like that? Like that's your time off of work. Just go yeah. to Dave and Buster's. But how much, how much dark stuff right now is just people who don't have anything to do on weekends. I actually think you nailed something that's really true there of like, there's, you, you hear a lot that, that, people who are finding these kind of dark communities, these intense extremist communities, a lot of times it's just, they don't really have anything else to do. And it's an accepting community. You hear this about white power all the time. You hear that people fall into it because when they start with it, you hear this all, you know, when you read up on it, a lot of people's stories, it's like, yeah, I actually, I actually didn't believe in white power when I started hanging out with these guys. It was just, they were a community that accepted me and could hang out. We hung out and drank in one of the yards. And the next thing you know, you've got a bunch of tattoos that, you know, you wind up regretting for your whole life. And I don't think you're wrong. I actually think it's very valid to be like, yeah, this is how you're spending your weekend. Like a lot of these people, I think if they stumbled into another hobby, it's actually that simple. Not in all cases. Some some people actually are evil or, you know, unhinged. Some people, I feel like they just kind of go, oh, these people seem like they'll let me hang out. And that's where it starts. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Like, yeah, I think if you, and, and we're all, social media amplifies this stuff, so. I think we're all susceptible to it. Uh, you know, all of us have spent like a day on Twitter and been like, okay, this is, this is too much. This is, yeah, I'm becoming it. a crazy person, but can't like, do it. yeah, if you're circling around like 4chan or like the Alex Jones part of the internet, like take a walk, man, go, go talk to somebody, go practice knitting. I don't know. Knitting. I like it. You, you've got the soul of an artist. You really do. You're like dance, <laughs> comedy, knitting. Let's find it. Whether it's expression through movement. I would never knit in my entire life. Wow, wow. You just went from pro knitting to anti knitting very fast. You really you really flipped. I'm pro knitting for other people. It seemed like actual anger when you, you actually kind of snapped at me. You were like, I'll never knit in my life. You you seemed like you actually were offended that I said you were pro knitting. Yeah, that's the only hill that I'll die on. That's like the strongest opinion that I have. As a veteran who served, you know, just something- you'll use that language in reference to knitting. That's the only hill I'll die on, anti-knitting. <laughs> As someone who's actually trained in weapons and deployed, now in, you're at a stage mm-hmm. in life where knitting is, quote, the only hill you'll die on. I, <laughs> it's really good. I, uh, I definitely have like, ADHD, uh, like I, I, if I'm working on something, there's always music or something else going on in the background, uh, podcasts. Uh, so like the idea of sitting in one place and doing only one thing for long enough that you have a completed scarf, Uh 
makes me like twitch. So like being locked in a room with a 1000 piece jigsaw puzzle is actually your nightmare. Ah. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get your vibe. I get your vibe. I think there are certain things that got big with like, uh, uh, the pandemic and everyone was like, we're all going to do this. It's going to feel like we're all doing something together. And I just, there were, there were a couple trends where I was like, no, I'm not going to get into making sourdough. I wasn't into bread before this. I'm not going to get into <laughs> bread just because. <laughs> no sourdough, no knitting. No sourdough, no knitting. I'm trying to. I'm trying Take to care about bread. I'm trying to guess what your pandemic activities have been. I I bet you've gotten really into like. Uh, do you do like outdoor physical activity, but not not like like tough mutter stuff? Tough like now I got to crawl over a wall. Now I got to dig a tunnel through mud. Now I got to swim eight miles. Now is are you that kind of guy when you work out? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Super generous of you to even assume that I work out. Um, no, I, br I bring the same thinking to it. Uh, I like to go running um, and I like to do, you know, I have like a little workout routine that I, I stick to like pretty well, but it's just like me in my garage. Mm -hmm. And it's that same type of thinking where like, I should go to a gym and I should be a gym guy. I don't want to be a gym guy. Like I don't want gym friends. <laughs> No gym friends, no knitting. If someone tries to hit me up at six o'clock in the morning, like, what up, dude? Time to go get some gains. I will set their house on fire. That's unacceptable. Do you have people in your life texting you at six in the morning about getting gains? It's okay. No, thank, thank God. <laughs> you said you'd set their house on fire. I want to warn that person. I want to warn that person. <laughs> so you, I said before, like, into the arts comedy theater helping people very giving um the arts in particular i said kind of defies the stereotype do you since you've worked with i know you say you don't want it to be your whole thing i'm just curious since it came up do you feel like there's overall stereotypes about the military that aren't true i feel like that would be a good thing to get on record since it's come up stereotypes about the military that aren't true Um, I just think that like viewing everything through the lens of a, of a stereotype takes out so much of like the context. Like I met so many of like, just like the smartest, like most interesting, hilarious, like dudes when I was in and they definitely don't like, it's such a broad spectrum of like people from all over different backgrounds in the country. Um, that like, yeah, they're not all, all dudes in like, you know, uh, red, white, and blue like hats. It is interesting they bring that up because one of the stereotypes is that it's a very conservative culture, but it's also known as being like one of the most diverse cultures you'll find in America. A lot of, I feel like a lot of, I've heard a lot of veterans say beautiful things about, oh yeah, I joined the military and all of a sudden I was around uh, 
plethora of people who I'd never been around that type of person before. Such a weird, fascinating thing you do. You were, you did. Yeah. It's, I would like to see people bringing more context into the discussion. Like anytime you see, I don't know, some dude speaking at a Trump rally and he's like, the military loves our presidents. Like you have to know how black and Latino the military is like, come on. The demographics do not shake out on that. Yeah. Yeah. That, I will say that one thing that bothered me when I lived in New York, man, was I lived in a neighborhood where at the subway station they had recruiters and, uh, you start to notice I lived in a very, very heavily Hispanic area and you start to notice, Oh, they don't set up recruiting stations at every subway station. It's certain neighborhoods that have recruiters. It's like, ah, oh, man, that's, uh, it's just very noticeable. Oh man. When you, <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, animosity that can sometimes exist between guys in the military and recruiters who are also, you know, they're in the military, but there's a, <laughs> uh, when I got done with basic training, uh, you either get like a weekend, like, so you've been like in basic only around military guys for like so long, uh, like three months. And then at the end of it, you graduate and you get like three days to go home and see your family to be like free again for a little while before you have to go to your first duty station. Or you can volunteer to help out at a recruiter's office. And uh, like, then they'll give you like a week and you just go and check in and you do like nine to five, uh, helping out at the recruiter's office for a little while. So of course, like I took that deal, like I wanted to stay home for a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> working for a recruiter in a low income neighborhood in Milwaukee sucked so hard. So, so hard. Let's pause there. Is this, this is a topic that I bet a lot of us go, Ooh, how did that suck? That could go in a few different directions. We'll find out when we get back. That's it, everybody. No more breaks. Let's finish things off. Working for a recruiter in a low-income neighborhood in Milwaukee sucked so hard. So, so hard. How so? Is it, are they just like kind of like salesmen like any other salesman at the end of the day, but like with people asking people to die for their country? Yeah. I mean, I, it was just really weird for me. I, um, my family, my whole family, like extended aunts, uncles, they all got sucked into this like kind of pyramid scheme when I was in high school. So like, I really got to be around some of these people who are like, I'm going to be super nice to you and I want something from you. <laughs> so yeah, just like having my, uh, my sensors up for that kind of thing. And then watching these guys like go into high schools and talk to high school kids while I'm like 19 and kind of in the corner being like, don't uh, <laughs> ask for proof, man, get it on paper, like make photocopies. 
He said, your bonus is going to be this much. Get it in writing, dude. Oh, those are straight up lie to you about money. I, I think, I think they can't. I think there's things you can do to get guys like in the system and kind of like enrolled and going. And then like, I mean, a lot of people got a fair deal, but yeah, I, I talked to a bunch of guys who like say they're recruiter stiffed them. Yeah. That's a bummer. It's a bummer. Kids, they're kids. Yeah. Boy, if you're thinking of going into the military, like it's good on you, you know, it can be some money in your pocket. If you get, uh, uh, it's like a, like one of those jobs that actually like trains you for something, you know, get gets you. So you're actually good at like radio work or computers or whatever. But think hard before you go in though, you know, try some other stuff, try to, to live some life before you're like, I want to commit three or five years to this. And, and now you've said you don't want to just be the military guy. And we've talked about it a lot. And it sounds like you're now, you just said, go live some life first. But it sounds like afterwards, you've really dedicated yourself towards living some life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could say, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I've, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've tended to just kind of throw myself into situations and figure it out later. <laughs> so you're doing that with comedy now. What are, what are some other examples of things you've thrown yourself into? I know it's not knitting. I know it's not, cro I know it's not crochet. <laughs> I understand this. I'm not implying that again. When you say you throw yourself all into situations, what are we talking here? Okay, because it sounded like you were. It sounded like you were implying that I knit, and that's dude. It's not cool, dude. Dude, I'm just saying. Let's keep it. I'm just. The last thing I need is you pissed off at me because I'm implying you knit, and it's the absolute last thing I would do. I respect you as a human. I expect you as someone who's given service to our country, and the last thing I'm going to do sit around and apply in any way that you take yarn and needles and you transform that yarn into uh, useful household items, hats, clothing, things like that. No way. A big, chunky, warming, comforting scarf. The last thing. No, that's... The furthest thing from my mind would be you knitting. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, bro. You know I got love for you, dog. No, uh, let's see. Oh, the first year after like getting out and going back to, to college was, uh, man, I would just, I definitely had to learn that like, you don't need to go anywhere after like the bar is closing. Like <laughs> there's not like, if some, some dude's like, Hey, actually I know a place is a pretty cool party happening. It's two o'clock in the morning not a good party don't go to that party <laughs> you've seen it you've gone to that party oh the absolute lunatics i have followed home and gotten drunk in their basements is ridiculous and now talk to me about this because i think you said you live in, you live in chicago now because you're doing improv you said you came up in milwaukee the one thing i learned the midwest you say these lunatics drinking in their basement they go hard Midwesterners, if they want, if they drink, if they party, they'd go hard. I've been in bars in Chicago at closing time. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, 
I, I saw it more in, and I'm, I'm not in Chicago. I'm like Chicago adjacent right now. Um, but like, uh, lived for a couple of years in Milwaukee, loved it. Absolutely wonderful city. Crazy about it. Um, yeah, they could pick a couple other things to be proud of beyond like how many PBRs they can put back. That's not, it's not a huge accomplishments. I hear you can also get, um, very affordable housing in Milwaukee. And I know this cause my wife who's a punk rocker tours around and she loves all these cities in Wisconsin. She says they're like these punk rock, like music havens. And I think she said in Milwaukee, she had a bunch of punk friends who used to pay their rent selling blood. Like they could all just practice their songs and work on their bands all the time. Cause just by donating blood and selling it, like selling plasma, they were able to pay their rent. I was like, that sounds bonkers to me. I do not think you can make your rent selling plasma anymore. Uh, okay. Okay. So I, I feel like the, I feel like there's been some depreciation in that uh -huh. market. Uh -huh. um, fair, fair. Either housing no, costs have gone up, or, or plasma has really gone through a, a a crash. The great, the great Milwaukee plasma crash of 2018 erased that. Milwaukee's uh, initially, but I think it can be very affordable. It's like a great place to, to live or get like your first apartment when you're young. They do uh, have uh, a great, like the music scene's awesome. Really, really good. Great, uh, great concert halls and small dive bars uh, to hear some great bands in. Uh, the only thing about Milwaukee is I think statistically it's like the most segregated city like I think in the country, I think that's still, that's still true. That ain't good. Well, which is not to say like, uh, so if you live in the, the, the cool thriving, like the, the hipster area or the parts of Milwaukee, the neighborhoods that are doing really good. Uh, it's, it's not that like, like those are still super diverse neighborhoods. Like, uh, you know, the, you know, if I was out at like a, a punk show or something, like I was with a very diverse crowd and it's great. And like Wisconsin's famous for like friendly, nice people. Mm -hmm. It's just that like the history of the city is bad. So like the first, when I first moved to Milwaukee and this is like pre army days, uh, I lived on this, this block that was so clearly like the dividing line between nice, presentable, like, come take a photo, come visit Milwaukee, and, like, the street that you don't go past. <laughs> like, Wow. And that was pretty... So you're... When I worked... Oh, you, when you worked where? No, you finish it up. I was going to say, it's just, I'm, you know, you drop in different pieces of the timeline, and it's like, so... You were a guy who used to go out to punk shows, used to go to the weird after-hours parties. You wind up in a few situations with lunatics in basements. Now you're in the outskirts of Chicago. You're loving the arts. You're loving comedy. And then in between was a turn where you deployed in the military, which, you know, as you're laying out the timeline and I'm piecing it together... Was there like a life crisis in there or was it because you're a punk guy then you're a comedy guy now, 
Those are related. So what happened? What happened in the middle there, um, man? No, 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 no life crisis. I, I don't think it would be unfair if you tried to like sum me up by being like non-traditional resume. <laughs> we can look at this guy and go like, oh, he has a non-traditional resume. I don't think I'm this my person. I'm maybe not awesome at putting together like life plans. <laughs> uh, I am a little bit better at like rolling with stuff uh, and improvising life-wise if, uh, if life does get difficult. But also like I have to get in. If I think I want to do something, I have to get in, see how it works, um, try my best at it, but then pick out the parts of it that work for me. Does that make sense? Sure. So like I thought I was a politics guy and I was like studying uh, poli-sci in college uh, and I got this uh, internship which turned into a job and then I was kind of working in the world of like uh, fundraising for like some really great candidates, uh, uh, people doing really cool things. But like, man, uh, I was not good at the fundraising crowd. <laughs> like, Just didn't like rubbing elbows with these money people. Just bad at it. <laughs> Just not <laughs> great. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think what job I've been with. I tried that with Say what now? I'm sitting here trying to think what's the job I've had in life that I was worst at. And it was probably summer camp counselor. None of the kids respected me. And it was visibly, oh, it was no. visibly sad. Yeah. It was bad. You would be such a cool camp counselor. You'd be dope. No, they had no respect. And they'd realized that because they all thought it was funny to just kind of like take off. And they realized that I had to stay with the larger group of kids and couldn't chase them. And then they realized I really couldn't if they headed in opposite directions. And they were six-year-olds. And I was the only, like it was different groups. And I was in charge of this group. And they'd be like, well, this this girl just went left and that boy just went right. And then I've got 11 other kids sitting here I don't know. I've now got two human children that I can't account for. I am a bad camp counselor. It's probably the, really the main thing in the job. Like when all else fails, we don't care if you're bad at, at teaching arts and crafts, knitting, yuck. If you're not, if you're not someone who's going to, you know, get in the playground equipment and really play with them out there, that's fine. As long as you know where they all are at all times. And I failed at that. The very uh -oh. basic entry level where are they i don't know that's Str not fair that's not on you kids yeah. are so much smarter in a group than any authority figure yeah honestly i would have melted in that position too i would I'm, not be good i'm telling you it was not it was not great so you're not good at the political fundraising what are some other things you've dabbled in um i mean i feel like that's like the, the broad strokes you know that thing we we're talking about before like you could do anything else it is absolutely baffling to me watching these dudes who dudes and ladies sound like I'm from Bill and Ted, uh, that went to like a political fundraiser and all gave each other COVID. Like, can you think of a least anything less fun to go to <laughs> that would like risk or endanger your life or family? Yeah, that's true. When you put it like that, if you're going to catch COVID, you should be going to like, you know, like an underground rave or 
sex party or something, something nuts, something just hedonistic. Thank and you, nuts. sex party, a hundred percent. Go do something cool. Don't have the world's worst small talk and like average finger sandwiches. That's crazy. So you've been to these events where people pay like forty thousand dollars. And they're eating bad egg salad sandwiches and everybody's just having stunted conversations. You're saying that's what the, even the high yeah. level events are that? Don't risk exposing yourself to COVID to go network. That's the worst possible thing you could do. If you're going to go fight. Possibly the last week of your life. If you're going to go fight in an underground Kumite, sure. Risk COVID for that. If, sure. If you're gonna, 100%. If you're going to go on like an epic quest to find uh, like uh, like the Holy Grail, sure, risk COVID for mm-hmm. that. And the aforementioned sex parties, of course, risk COVID for those. If you're going to go to your last party, go to a good party. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with but no, you. it was that kind of thing. I, was, I wasn't like great at being... <laughs> somebody who needs to like watch what they say. Cause you're talking to like an important donor or whatever. I was always just too clumsy and dumb for that. So like when I found this opportunity to go to like a nonprofit where it's just simple and it's like, Oh, this dude needs a couch. Let's get him a couch. Here's your couch. You like, then that's it. That was, that was much more rewarding. And that was more like my speed. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And I love, there's something you said before that I haven't forgotten. Because I think it's beautiful that you're helping veterans. There's clearly, you know, I would have to imagine no matter how into being a veteran you are, to help other veterans must be meaningful. You also said, though, that this experience has shown you that it's easier to help people in need and we should be able to do more for all types of people. I thought that was really profound when you said it. Uh a hundred percent. And like the way that like the whole country is going through this uh, pandemic thing right now. And it's terrible how little like the government has done to help them at all. And you have like a bunch of people who are going to experience homelessness for like the first time, or at least are just absolutely freaking out about rent and how to pay bills. They have these like pilot programs that they try all over the country and in different countries. Uh, I was just reading one about Canada. Uh, California has a great one and it's super simple. They just figured out that if you buy up a bunch of property and then you, you know, if you create a program that says like, okay, this neighborhood, we're just going to take all the homeless people and give them houses. We're just going to put them in houses and that's it. And like, we, like we pay for that. It works. It works every time. And it's so stupid that we think, you know, these places are going to like, they're going to become decrepit. They're going to become trashy or, you know, the homeless people are just going to go back to drugs or whatever caused them to be living on the street in the first place. You know, no, when you give people a, like a job and a house, they, they do it. They live their life. Well, I feel like that dialogue is such a cartoonish, like, it's 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 a cartoonish stereotype that's manipulated to scare people, right? Like this neighborhood's going to go down the drain. But I feel like 
Yeah, and I'm sorry if I get into like stereotypes at all. Myself no, there. no, because like, you, no, you're rallying against like, them. Get the words out, you know. You're saying like, no, these programs actually work, and these stereotypes don't come true. And you know, there's all this fear of people like, well, people are just going to live off the welfare state forever. And I know that there are people who manipulate that, and there's fraud in that system. But I feel like the more you get to know people, the more you realize how important dignity is to any human being. And people want yes to have an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. They want to be able to say, Hey, here's a thing I earned myself here. When I got the opportunity to get back on track, here's how far I took it. Once I was back on track, dignity is, is one of the most um, important, important aspects of a human being's health. Yes. Oh, that's really dignity is important. aspect. Yes. That was huge for us when we were doing the furnishing program because uh, people will donate really nice stuff, but they also might try to unload some junk on you. Uh, yeah. That's just, that's like, that's human nature. And our thing was, no, we wanted quality stuff and no junk with like loose drawers or scratches all over it or a smelly couch because when you take someone who has been unhoused for so long and you give them quality furniture that makes them feel good about themselves and that makes their place feel like home to them, that's, that does so much mentally for keeping a dude who has been maybe struggling with work or struggling with PTSD or struggling with drug issues, keeping them plugged in, keeping them feeling positive about themselves. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, you want to hear the non-beautiful part? Sure. You learn so much about people. Like the furniture game is so cold. The <laughs> nicest little old lady, like the sweetest, sweetest woman will lie through her goddamn teeth to get you to take a couch that absolutely reeks of piss out of her house. Yeah. Just real Machiavellian stuff, man. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry you had to live through that. I'm so sorry you had to live through that. Our time is up, you know, uh, between yeah. between the uh, the insane basement parties you went through, between the intensity of 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 you know being deployed in the military and the way you had to f face down both your fear of knitting, your aversion to knitting, and little old ladies with piss couches. I really feel like you've you've pushed through so much, and you never stopped trying to do what's right. And I thank you for it. Oh, thanks. That's really nice of you to say. Um, hey, it was great talking, man, and my best to your lovely wife and beautiful baby. Thanks so much. And my, my all my best to you and yours. And, I, uh, you know, sounds like you're, you're diving in deep on the comedy thing. And that, you know, that experience changed my life. And I hope you keep getting joy out of it. I just hope the same for you as well. You're doing awesome stuff out there. Keep it up. And uh, Space Force. <laughs> caller thanks so much that one had moments where i felt like i got to relax it had moments where i felt like i got to ask some stuff that had some some weight to it and you were so honest about all of it thank you great call thanks to jared o'connell thanks to anita flores thanks to shell shag Want to know more about what I'm up to? You go to chrisgeth.com. 
If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it really, really helps if you hit subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit follow. If you're on Stitcher, hit favorite. It really helps. No joke. If you want to check out our back catalog, go to stitcherpremium.com stories. I'll see you next time.